You're in the locker room with Tunch and Wolf on your 24-7 home of the black and gold Steelers Nation Radio. Good morning, Steelers Nation, inside the locker room. It's Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes with you, an electric version of the locker room here on Victory Monday, 412-919-1316. The phone lines are open on this Victory Monday. Hold on, hold on, say that again. What type of Monday is it? 412-919-1316. The phone lines are open on this Victory Monday. One more time, one more time, one more time. What is it? What is it? 412-919-1316. The phone lines are open on this Victory Monday. Victory. What? Victory, baby. Mote. Great. Great morning, man. We needed that win last night. Did we not? Did the, did the whole city of Pittsburgh need that win last night? Oh, Oh, man, it just feels so awesome. It's nothing like waking up, regardless of how long your night may have yeah, been. Yeah, on about four hours of sleep. You, you know, we're, we're, we're a team, no sleep today. But how awesome does it feel waking up, you're driving in like, hey, we're coming to recap a Steelers win, a Steelers primetime win on the West Coast in front of Steeler Nation, California, because that's what that game was last night. It wasn't a, it wasn't a away game for the Steelers. That was a home game on a West Coast turf. That's all that was. Yeah, that was incredible. Uh, I mean, we we talked about this a lot, how the Chargers never really play a home game. It's more like eight road games and eight neutral site games. Absolutely. But man, that was far from neutral site last night. That was 80%, hey, 85%, 90%. Particularly, you take the Chargers employees out of the stadium. Right. And, <laughs> man, it, that, was, that was 90% black and gold. That was jump. That atmosphere was jumping, and the defense, I think, fed off that energy right away. Yeah, early and often, man, they made plays. You have to think to start out the game with the big hit on Phillip Rivers. Then after that, the next series, you got Devin Bush scooping a, a fumble up and scoring a touchdown. You couldn't predict or you couldn't plan that start from a defensive standpoint any better. Nope. And that was the beauty of it. And like you said, most of the time when you're playing on the road, you want to go in there and take the crowd out of it because you know, okay, if we don't make plays early, this crowd's going to get going. It's going to be tough for us. But that wasn't the case. They were able to get that crowd going crazy early and ultimately set the tone for the game, which ended up being awesome for those guys. Really did. And a whole bunch to get into. Obviously, we'll, we'll talk about one Devlin, Duck Hodges, and James, James Conner and, and a lot of stuff on the offense. But I think the story of the game, right, starts with that defense. Another thing we spent a good amount of time talking about last week were the Steelers struggles in the first quarter from an offensive standpoint, right? Only averaging 2.6 yards per first quarter. They were only averaging uh, 2 minutes and 14 seconds average time of possession in the first quarter. Uh, Their drives were only an average of 7 plays in the first quarter. Not good enough. We knew that it was important for this team, right? Uh, Particularly in the wake of the first NFL start for one Devlin Duck Hodges. You couldn't fall behind. Right, Motsi, you couldn't dig yourself a hole. You couldn't ask this quarterback and this offense to play from behind. And boy, the defense went out and put them in a great position early. Yeah, without a doubt, man. Like you said, you never wanted to have Duck have to go on the road, throw the ball 30, 40 times. No matter how much you believed in Duck, no matter how much the uh, the mystique and the mythological being that Duck is, you did not want to have him go on the road in a hostile environment, potentially, and have to have, in the words of Coach Tomlin, too much exposure yes. to that Chargers defense. Feel like he's got to do too right. much. But, man, from like you said, from a defensive standpoint, 
they matched up extremely well in terms of what they did great in terms of rushing the passer, their D-line versus that Chargers O-line who at the time had lost Russell Okong, mm -hmm. had lost Mike Pouncey. Those are arguably their two best linemen. Sure. And from there, they just literally beat the drum in that matchup continually from start to finish. And I think that's what ultimately set the tone for the rest of the plays that were made. And that's the beauty of it because when you watch them play like that, it wasn't as if they were getting fluky stuff. Like when we talked about the San Fran game, remember five turnovers, but three of them were very fluky. Three of them, you couldn't count on that going forward. Watching what we watched last night, that's something that you can bank on. That's something that you can say, hey, it doesn't matter if this is September or if this is January football. It doesn't matter if it's sunny outside or if it's snowing outside. Defense travels. Defense plays in any conditions. And that's something that you have to be excited about if you're this Steelers organization and if you're this Steelers fan base. No doubt. And listen, everybody knows one of the big themes for this Steelers team in the offseason heading into this 2019 edition, this 2019 campaign for the Pittsburgh Steelers, turnovers and splash plays for the defense was a massive talking point. Well, Arthur Motes, through six weeks. Mm -hmm. Talk about it. A third of the season. Let the people know. They have already matched their turnover total from all of last year. A third of the way into the season, they have forced 15 turnovers through six weeks. That's as many as they had all of last year. Absolutely. And then uh, a big part of that, Devin Bush has six of those takeaways himself. Four, Unbelievable. Four fumble recoveries, two interceptions. Oh, and give him a touchdown while you're at it. And then not to mention the addition of Minka Fitzpatrick, who's directly impacted three of those um, three of those turnovers, having a forced fumble, an interception, and a tip pass that led to the Cameron Kelly interception versus the uh, Ravens last week. So when you think about those two talents, that's nine turnovers. They're directly responsible responsible for that's what you want that's the splash that you're expecting to see out of first round talent and not to mention man when you talk about just across the board how well these guys have been playing Cameron Kelly has been playing in a big role over the past couple weeks you look at the pass rush the pressure that's being caused up front is causing quarterbacks to speed up you look at the Phillip Rivers forward pass to Melvin Gordon mm-hmm it wasn't as if Phillip didn't think he could make that throw. No, it was the pressure that was being applied that he felt he had to get rid of the ball sooner than he wanted, and that's the beauty of it, right? It doesn't matter who your quarterback is. It doesn't matter if it's Dan Marino or, in the words of Keith Butler, Dan Fouts. You know, he did drop one of those references the other day. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's the quarterback. When you apply pressure, when you hit them, when you speed their clock up, they do not perform the same way, and that's what we saw. Do you think Phillip Rivers is still a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback? Hey, that, that can be debated. He has numbers. But when you're pressuring him, when you're hitting him, when you're making him uncomfortable, he looks very average. And that's what you love about this defense because they're making good quarterbacks look very average. Particularly in the face of maybe playing a little shorthanded, if you will. You know, not, not having all their bullets in the holster, if you will, and, and Tuit leaves the game early, and Mark Barron didn't play, and Steven Nelson didn't play. And you saw TJ Watt got banged up during the game. Anthony Ciccolo got a lot of spin. There were some more. Joe Hayden got banged up during the game. Didn't matter. You talk about next man up. It didn't matter who was coming into the game. You saw Cam Sutton really step up. You saw Mike Hilton really step up. Javon Hargrave doing what we know he's capable of doing. We haven't even mentioned Bud Dupree yet. It, it doesn't matter as the cast of characters rotate. The success was still there. Yeah, they definitely showed their depth in terms of Vince Williams being able to come in, play 
a, a huge role. Even when Devin Bush went out and Tyler Maticadovich came in, played in some some uh, some significant plays. Dan, big Dan McCullers. Mm-hmm. He stepped up in a big Tyson way. Tyson Alulu was Absolutely. out there wreaking so, havoc. And when you looked at it, you already knew that Artie Burns had to step up in a big way. But then Cam Sutton comes in when Joe Hayden goes down. You just can see across the board the depth that these guys have. And we'll also put it into context. This Chargers offense has been struggling in terms of protecting the quarterback due to the injuries on that O-line. Sure. This Chargers offense has been starting slow compared to how they've been in the past. Melvin Gordon is not up to speed, and we talked about that in terms of making him look like he's not up to speed yet because he sat out for so long. So there were other variables and factors that did play into it. But ultimately, I don't care about all that because at the end of the day, with your line, they don't ask how, they just ask how many? How many? Oh, look at you. That's all I'm saying, you're man. starting to learn. You know, and, and, and this is one of those situations that, hey, when you're looking down the line, they're not going to say, oh, well, the Chargers were dealing with this and this and this. Because, of course, they could say the same. They've had a ton of injuries. But the biggest difference is this. Their starting franchise quarterback is not hurt. Whereas the Steelers starting franchise quarterback, their second string quarterback. Oh, not their third string guy because they traded him away. But their fourth string was the guy who had to go in there and start. So nobody wants to hear the excuses, and that's ultimately why this win was so big because they've overcome so much adversity. But when you, like I said, put it into context, they did what they were supposed to do. They took advantage of every matchup that they had defensively. I think it was regardless of what's going on with the quarterback situation going forward, and that's something I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time discussing over the next two weeks. Is it fair to say that what we saw last night was kind of the blueprint for how the Steelers need to go about winning games going forward, right? A strong defensive performance, getting a lead, an offense that is opportunistic and capitalizes while not putting themselves in negative situations. Uh, Good special teams, right? You you saw it with with Chris Boswell again, money. Uh, You saw Jordan Berry with the big punt at the end of the game to put the defense in a good situation. Is that kind of the... You know, in the offense, again, capitalizing, taking advantage when the time called for it. Is that kind of the blueprint now, at least in the short term for the Steelers going forward? It's funny we're saying, is that the blueprint? I feel like that should have been the blueprint since Ben went down. And it was one of those things where they've gone through little phases. And the thing that's funny is this. When you look at some of the throws that they were using Devlin Hodges in, those were glorified runs. Those were get the ball out quick, let let James Conner make a guy miss, get him out in space. That's how the Steelers team needs to be playing because, number one, they don't have the big plays at, at wide receiver right now. Um, this O-line hasn't been able to just road grade through seven-man, eight-man boxes. So without a doubt, this needs to be the way because you minimize the exposure of these young quarterbacks, regardless of how much you believe in them or not. Regardless if you think these are franchise quarterbacks or not, you limit their exposure by getting the ball out their hands fast, keeping them on schedule, and letting your athletes make plays. I do think at some point you have to find more creative ways to get Juju involved. Sure. Because he is a weapon, but you, the way they're trying to use him right now does not bode well for his talents, doesn't bode well for his strengths. But without a doubt, I think this is the method or the recipe for success for these guys going forward. And it's no different than what you've seen globally when you think about the Ravens historically. They haven't always had the best offenses, but they run the ball. They play great defense and great special teams. You think about the, let's see, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when they won the Super Bowl, what did they do? Great defense, great special teams. 
hey, just don't turn the ball on the offense. That's the biggest thing. Bears have had a lot of success Absolutely. doing that lately. Absolutely. That's a recipe that can win because you don't have to depend on your offense scoring a ton of points. I think about the Rams method. Yeah. It, it's flawed. People talk about, man, Sean McVay is a genius. I understand that, but you're not scoring 50 points every game. When you find a team that can stop you, if you cannot stop them, it does not matter. Whereas from a defensive standpoint, if you keep them off the board and you score defensively, you can win that way. That's why I think that this is a recipe for success. Particularly right, you mentioned this earlier, it doesn't matter if it's September or December, it doesn't matter if you're at home or on the road, it doesn't matter if it's sunny or if it's snowing, good defense travels. Absolutely. Good defense can perform in any conditions where we see a lot of times some of these high-powered offenses, right? Like you mentioned the Rams or you mentioned uh, Kansas City, right, is another good example. Yeah, in September and October, they might be putting up 40-some points a game, but when, when it's December and when it's cold and when it's crunch time, it, you always don't have those same elements and everything available at your disposal. You saw the Patriots, a team that was was Tom Brady and pass-centric for a while, changed their style last year, right? And, and through uh, just an incredible defensive performance and coaching job, were able to hold those high-flying Rams and those high-flying uh, Chiefs in the AFC Championship game and in the Super Bowl to low outputs. It, it's certainly... I think, like you said, it's it's always a blueprint, but particularly when you're on to a guy who was your fourth quarterback in training camp and, and an offense and a team now that has a lot of injuries everywhere. And I was encouraged too, Motsi. Another thing we spent a lot of time talking about, and this dates back to a couple years now, the Steelers in one score games. Yeah, it, it, it was a it was a strength of this team for a while. It seems like in the past two years it, it's kind of gone the other way, but another one score game, and finally. Uh, the Steelers come out on the right end. Without a doubt, they finally found a way to execute in those critical moments. They finally found a way to minimize the critical turnovers that we have seen this team produce multiple times this season. They found a way to, like you said, man, just come out and get one of these close games that they haven't won realistically since, what, 2017? That was the last time we saw them win a ton of those close games because mm -hmm. last year they had the issues with Boz. And like you said, this year they were having the turnover issues. So for them, this is a big confidence booster. And from a optic standpoint, if you're just mentally and visually looking at this game, you don't think about the factors. What you're telling yourself is this. We went on the road, played a future Hall of Fame caliber quarterback and beat him with our defense and our fourth string quarterback. With all these injuries. With all these injuries, with all this adversity. So for you, if you're a Steelers player right now, you have to be feeling overly confident, extremely motivated going into the bye week, and you get this week and pretty much next week to think about it. And that's a positive thing. That's why winning this game was so critical for this team. Yeah, no doubt. And I think you mentioned it there, too. You get that win heading into the bye week. You get now some extra time to heal up with some of these bumps and bruises, and we're still waiting to hear the extent of a lot of these injuries. I think particularly Stephon Tuitt is the one that everyone's going to kind of be, uh, you know, anxiously refreshing their Twitter feed looking for some updates on. But it, it it's a good time to have the bye. It's a good time to go out west. We know that's something the Steelers have struggled with, going out west and, and getting a win. You get to come home. I think I, I heard Mike Pursuta on the DVE morning show this morning. He flies back with the team. He said they got in about 530. Mm -hmm. So hopefully they're all sleeping right now and resting and relaxing and enjoying that win. We certainly are here on the show. Arthur Motes and Wesley Euler in for Tunch and Wolf, 412 919-1316, the digits to dial. We got some calls in already. We'll get to your reaction when we return. Also on Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at TheBody52. The
Daddy. Now, people want to keep talking about defense. Those are what the uh, the early questions and the early reactions here are on Twitter. We'll get to that. And I want to talk a little bit more about this man, Devin Bush, mm-hmm. and what we've seen from him in that Steelers defense and how, man, they are truly starting to look, even in the face of a lot of injuries, like one of the elite units in this league. In the locker room, it's Euler Remotes. It's an electric edition of the locker room. We'll get to your reaction again next on Twitter at Wesley Euler at Dubai52. And 412-919-1316. You are in the locker room on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. and Wolf on your 24-7 home of the black and gold Steelers Nation Radio. Devin Bush, he had the people jumping around last night in Carson City, California. Yes, indeed. Wesley Euler, Arthur Motes with you here for the old fogies inside the locker room. Tunch and Wolf off today as they just got back into town a few hours ago. They will be with you tomorrow, though, so don't fret. You got Motes and I here for the next hour and 40 minutes on the phones. 412-919-1316 on Twitter at Wesley Euler at Dubody52. And I know you had to be just thrilled to see your young guy, Devin Bush, number 55, part of the 5-5 Brotherhood, just continuing to make plays. Uh, We talk a lot about the rookie learning curve, right, and what that looks like for guys, and particularly how that can be more difficult on defense than it is on offense sometimes, Mm -hmm. because at least on offense, you you know what you're being asked to do and the routes you're running and your blocking assignments were on defense. It's more reactionary. It's more reading and reacting. Devin Bush, in the face of a lot of injuries last night, Motsi, man, and he's he certainly, and we'll talk about this too, he had some some struggles in the second half, but I think you got to love from a development standpoint what you're seeing from him. Yeah, without a doubt, he's playing at extremely high level, and you can see it's starting to slow down for him. He's becoming a lot more comfortable in what they're asking him to do, and he's just making the plays he's supposed to make. But the thing that I think has been going unnoticed is the job that Coach Tomlin and Keith Butler have been doing in getting this defense playing at a high level and putting Devin Bush in very advantageous situations. They received a ton of criticism early during this season, and a large part of it was due to the fact that people were questioning whether or not Devin Bush was going to be good or was he a bust. And the thing that you're seeing now is – I don't want to say they simplify the defense, but those guys are a lot more comfortable with what they are asking them to do. Hmm. And it's paying dividends in terms of how fast they're looking out there, in terms of them being comfortable actually going to make plays, not just playing the call, which is key because a lot of people can play the call. I can give you an assignment right now, Wes. You can go out there and play the call, but it's the difference between that and you going out there and making a play. You going out there and trying to do exceedingly and abundantly. That's what we're seeing from this defense right now, and that's what's making me so excited about them, and in particularly Devin Bush. Devin Bush, fumble recovery, interception, and a touchdown. Only the second rookie. Joey Porter, baby. Only the second rookie that has ever done that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the 5-5, five, five, baby. The it's got to be, like you real. said, he, you know, there was some of that when you are a top 10 pick in the National Football League, and for those of you that don't know, the Steelers' first top 10 pick on defense since some guy named Rod Woodson in 1987. I think he, I think he turned out pretty good. <laughs> you, you trade up to go get Devin Bush. Everyone knows from last year kind of the struggles that were on that interior defense when it when it came particularly to speed matchups, right? When you when you had 
LJ Fort on the field, you kind of knew what you were tipping your hand to. When you had John Bostic on the field, you were kind of tipping your hand as well. It's been the complete opposite with Devin Bush, only six games into his NFL career. And yes, there were some missed assignments, some missed tackles in the second half. I think you'll take that though, as long as you're as long as the positives are outweighing the negatives. And his positives are big splash plays. Absolutely. Whereas his negatives Yes, you'd like to see him wrap up and make some of those tackles. At the same time, though, it's not like he's getting gashed for a 40-yard splash play. He, he could have maybe be, had a guy down three, four yards earlier. At the same time, I, I think you'll take the, the positives and the negatives if you're weighing him with Devin Bush right now. you got to be encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing that people have to realize. You're going to miss tackles in, you, in this league. No doubt. I don't care who the guy is across from you. No matter how much you want to downplay it and disrespect that player, he's a professional athlete. He's a one percenter for a reason. So – the other if team's you, allowed to make plays, too. Right? I don't care who it is. I've seen Ray Lewis miss tackles. You watch Luke Keekley, who was arguably one of the best interior linebackers in this game, and he got made a fool of versus the, uh, the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers just yesterday in a touchdown situation. It happens if you play this game. But the thing that was so encouraging about Devin Bush was this. He did not let one negative play become multiple negative plays. Right. He would... Go on to the next play, make a play. Go on to the next play, make the tackle. And that's what you want to see. That was so encouraging. And when you think about this matchup for him in particular, Austin Eckler had been one of their focal points offensively, both in the running game and in the passing game. He matched up with him great. Five carries, 14 yards. Melvin Ingram, eight carries, 18 yards. Mm. And when it came to the passing game, Melvin Gordon, three catches, 30 yards. But for the majority of the time, Devin was in his proper place. Devin was making the tackles he was supposed to make. And that's what's so encouraging about a young player like that. Him starting to trust his eyes a lot more. Him playing fast. Him believing what he is seeing and understanding that, hey, he is an elite-level athlete, an elite-level talent, and he's letting it show. Jason here on Twitter says, is it me or does Devin Bush look like the bullies that are always trying to beat the kid up in house party movies? <laughs> <laughs> he played like one last night. That is for sure. 412-919-1316 on Twitter at Wesley Euler at Dabody52. Dabody. The phone lines are lighting up here, Motsi, on a man, victory Monday. Hop on it, man. Let's talk to the people. Sean out in Whitehall, our first caller leading off today. What's up, Sean? Thanks for taking my call, guys. Love the show. You guys are doing great. Thank Appreciate you. you. Uh, Steelers Nation, Nation completely showed up in L.A. It wasn't even fair. Um, it looked wrong. <laughs> I like uh, it. Like I, I love said, it, too. We were talking about it, Sean. Uh, you saw it last week, right? If you watched the Chargers-Broncos game in Los Angeles last week, there was a lot of orange in the stadium. Uh, you watch these traditional NFL fan bases who play there, right? Like when the Raiders play there, when the Cowboys play there. When the New York Giants play there, there, there's a lot of the other team's colors in the stands. But, man, it wasn't a lot of black and gold in the stands yesterday. It was only black and gold. Absolutely, absolutely. The defense set the tone from the beginning, like you guys said. I think they're really heating up. Minka Fitzpatrick and Devin Bush, I mean, they're going to set the tone for, you know, the next 10 years with this team. Um, and I, I believe in Devil Hodges. I think Duck Dynasty for life. I like it. <laughs> Sean, we got to ask you here then. If, um, you know, with Devlin, you think maybe, are you are you more encouraged by him in the sense of give Mason more time here, or would you still like to see Mason, you know, back in whenever he's ready? To me, Mason looks a little gun shy. 
if he can come back and throw the ball like he says he's going to, then, you know, I'd like to see it. But uh, Devlin, I mean, he goes out there and he gives, he goes. So, I mean, I, I have more confidence in, in Duck right now. I like it. Hey, I like man, it, Sean. That's, that's, that's certainly going to be the, uh, the next great debate. Oh, without a doubt. Hey, and anytime you're able to perform and get the win and avoid the massive turnover. Yeah. That's definitely it's, it's going to bode well for this conversation. So it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out going forward. I like it, though. It really is. But you know what, Motsi? We got okay, we got two weeks here now with the bye week. We got plenty of time to get into all that, all right? I don't want to get into any controversy yet. I'm, I'm still trying to savor this Steelers victory here on a Monday. Let's go down to Texas and talk to John. What's happening, John? Hey, guys. How's it going? Going well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, I just wanted to call in this morning on a couple of points. Um, I uh, really love how the defense – I like how we're talking about the defense in this way than we have been in the last several years. But Amen. The one, the, one thing, the one thing I wanted to ask about was about the injuries. I mean, it just seems like um, – I, I don't can't put my finger on it if, it, if it's positioning where the players are being out of, co- out of, out of uh, position where they're getting injured more. Or is it just natural? It's just fate that's happening? Or is it that they're just overextending themselves that they're getting injured so much? That's that's my first question, or that's my only question. My other comment, though, is I love how Lincoln Fitzpatrick has really fit in, and I think he's t- taking a leadership role almost. Uh, I like the I like the uh, the feel where he was kind of defending Hilton last night. And, Mm-hmm. You know, got into Rivers' face, and so I, I think that was a he's just he's just naturally fit in, and I, and I really like the look of that. That's a great point, John. Thank you for the call. Yeah, uh, man. To, uh, to touch about the, uh, the injuries, injuries. yep, because you obviously yeah. have a lot of you. You know, you've been there, right? Right. Well, a lot of those injuries, man, they just come as a part of the game, and I think the reason more people are becoming aware of it and heightened to it is because of the Ben injury yes. and the attention that got. Then because of Mason and him being concussed and the attention that got, and then from there it was just a snowball of oh, this guy's hurt too, that guy's hurt too. Every year you have a ton of guys that get hurt. Every year, you have a ton of guys that play through injuries. That's a part of the game. It's just this year, people are more heightened to it and more aware of it because of the news coverage about it due to the positions that the guys are getting hurt. But none of this stuff is far-fetched. None of this stuff is new. Guys get hurt all the time. In fact, I tell people this. The only time you're 100% is the first day of OTAs. After that, that number goes down and down and down. By the time September hits for the opener, you're probably at about 85, 90%. By the time December hits, you're probably at about 65, 70%. I distinctly remember going into the AFC Championship game versus New England and in warm up saying to myself, my hip hurts so bad. I could cry right now, but I'm so hyped up. I'm, I'm going to be out here. That's just a part of it. You play through it, and you, no one makes the excuses because no one cares. And that's right. the thing about it. It's like you can go and list every – the same way New England lists everybody on the injury report, you can legit do that every week. And these are legit injuries. But no one wants to hear that, man. So you just deal with it, man. You do what you have to do to prepare yourself to play. And if it's so bad that you're detrimental to the team, well, now that's when you get put on the report and that's when you have to come out the game or potentially not play. 
and it's not just like the Steelers are alone in this regard, right? No, the no, Chargers, you mentioned it. Chargers certainly yeah. dealing with their best defensive player, Derwin James, is out. Their best, two best offensive linemen are out. Absolutely, man. You lost uh, Hunter Henry, who you saw yeah, how good he was he last just night. Came back. Just came back. Yeah, every team is dealing with injuries. It's just different when it's your franchise quarterback. Yes. If Philip Rivers would have been one. out versus Derwin James, the narrative in LA would be drastically different. In Pittsburgh, if it was Devin Bush instead of Ben Roethlisberger, the narrative would be drastically different. The reason why quarterbacks, you know, when they go down, is such a big deal is because of the money they're associated with, because of them being the face of the team, because of everybody associating wins and losses solely with the quarterback position. But every team has key guys that go down at some junction in the season. That's just the nature of the beast. It is, and it's unfortunate, but like we said, it's at least encouraging now that they've got the bye week and then even an extra day playing on Monday Night Football against the Dolphins. And I'll tell you this, I saw a lot of that reaction on Twitter last night of, oh my goodness, all these injuries this year. What are we doing? (laughs) Do we need a new training staff? Do we need new doctors? Motes, you know this, and and anybody who's listened to our show for more than 15 minutes knows this. I've worked in the Cleveland market before. I've worked in the Philadelphia market before, and obviously I've lived here minus those five years my entire life. Every fan base thinks, oh, our doctors, our training staff, they should be doing something. Browns fans said it when I was in Cleveland. Eagles fans said it when I was in Philly. What's going on with all these injuries? we got to get some new doctors. I was in Buffalo. We had 25 guys on IR. Oh, it's the training staff. Like the training staff's no, not going football. out there getting hit. It's football. <laughs> you play this game, you will get banged up, period. That's how it happens. And we got a lot of questions here on Twitter. Uh, Calvin chimes in asking about Tuit. My worry is with Tuit out. We lose that spark, the disruption up front on the defense. Curtis chimes in here. I'm extremely concerned that Stephon Tuit went down again. Steelers' defense is never the same when he's not playing. It, it didn't sound overly encouraging. And to its regard, I don't know if you did you hear what Cam Hayward said after the game yesterday? Uh, I did not know. Cam Hayward said something along the lines of, I'm praying that it's it's just something minor. We're praying that we're going to have him back soon, which obviously doesn't sound overly optimistic. Well, the thing is, it's a anytime it's a pec injury, you have right. to have the concern. I've dealt with a pec injury myself, so I'm very experienced with it. You have a couple of types. You can either just strain the muscle where it's not torn couple of weeks that's good or you can tear it like how i did which is a couple of months no surgery needed or you could tear it completely off the bone which is what cam hayward did which did require surgery and him missed the season mm-hmm. so you have a couple of variations of that injury we don't want to speculate right now but right. i'm sure he'll get his mris and we'll know something but as we talked about earlier the depth along that d line is phenomenal you have javon hargrave who's yes. playing at a high level who's in a contract year you have tyson alu alu who's a former first round draft pick 2010 draft class shout out one of his best games is Steelers Absolutely. yesterday I thought. and then you also have dan mccullers who played extremely well yesterday you saw him generating a good amount of pressure in the interior line so yes losing to it for any amount of time will hurt but it is not the end of this defense because they have so many playmakers. In, oh, we're not even talking about Cam Hayward and how he's already going to step up even in a bigger way if Tuit cannot go. So I don't think that it's you know the end of the world. I do think that you don't want him to miss too much time. But sure. at the same time, you have to feel excited and promised about the other guys that could step up and fill his role. I think Bud Dupree as well, too, right? I mean, it, uh, we have barely mentioned – I think we mentioned him one time in the last segment. He started a party out. He started the party, and, and we've seen that now a few times. I get it. People are always – they're going to look at his sack numbers and say, we need more in that department. 
okay, fine. Not like the rest of the team's struggling in that regard. But I tell you what, he has – you talk about a guy in a contract year. He has put some good splash on tape here in the last few weeks. Hey, man, you're preaching to the choir over here. He's been criticized in a, just an unbelievable amount of ways. Because we talk about because he was a first-round pick. Right. If he was a second or third-round pick, great selection. But but my thing is this. You cannot solely associate his productivity with his sack numbers. Now, granted, if you look at his numbers, he does have three sacks right now. Mm -hmm. So it's not as if he's not getting home. But the amount of pressure he generates, the amount of – Holding the setting the edge in how physical he is in the ring and how disruptive he is in the ring game. You saw the big tackle for loss. You saw him early and often getting out to Phillip Rivers. As much as people want to criticize him, I, I feel like it's a couple of people that people only will criticize but never praise. Bud Dupree, Mike Tomlin, Keith Butler. I'm all for it. If you want to criticize players and coaches, I'm all for it. You put Randy Feetner in that, in that group, but, too. But, but I still don't put him on that level because he is new to the criticism. It's true. These other guys have been criticized ridiculously year-round for multiple seasons, and I'm all for it when they deserve it, when they warrant it. But at the flip side, when they produce – when they perform at a high level, don't look them in the eyes and talk bad about them and then act like you don't want to give them praise when they deserve it because those guys have done what they needed to do to be successful this season. In these couple of games that we've seen the Steelers' defense play well, Bud Dupree has played well. The coaching staff has coached well, and those are the keys to those guys being successful. So as much as people want to criticize him, his numbers, hey, he's sitting at three sacks, he's generating a ton of pressure, Give him the credit he deserves. And that's all I have to say about that, man. Put some respect on his name. Absolutely, man. 412-919-1316. We got a couple open slots here on the phone lines now. If you want to jump in, also on Twitter, at Wesley Euler at TheBody52. TheBody. You know how we do. It's Pittsburgh, and I'm sitting here with Mr. Don't Cross the Moats himself. So it's been a lot of uh, defense-heavy discussion here in the first 40 minutes or so of the show. But when we come back, ducks fly together. Uh Uh-oh. Quack, 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 quack. I mean, Devin Hodges, like in the flying V formation last night with Benny Snell and James Conner right behind him. Oh, it was beautiful. We'll get into all of that when we return. Euler Remotes, we are in the locker room. It's an electric edition of the locker room. Filling in for Tunch and Wolf here on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Gets the snap. Throws it to the right flat. Slipping a tackle as Connor up the sideline. 10 5. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. James Connor putting on a show for all these Steelers fans and all those terrible towels. You're in the locker room with Tunch and Wolf on your 24 7 home of the black and gold Steelers Nation Radio. First start, first NFL touchdown pass for one Devlin Duck. Hodges, have a day, young man. 26 yards. To James Conner, that one put the Steelers up 21 to nothing, Motsi, after a 14-play, 86-yard drive that took nine minutes, over nine minutes off the clock. Hey, it was great to see the Steelers and company, Devlin Hodges and company, be able to capitalize off the splash plays, off the short field situations. But, man, it's also great to see Two drives, one in the second quarter, again there, that ended with a touchdown to James Conner. 14 plays, 86 yards, over nine minutes off the clock. Then they come out and start the second half, 13 plays, 73 yards, almost seven minutes off the clock. That ends with a Chris Boswell field goal. Are there moats? It's 
not like Devlin Hodges had to go out there last night and throw the ball 50 times and, and make a million plays for the Steelers to pull out a victory. But, man, we talked a lot about blueprints in that first segment or two for how this team is going to win. If it's going to be Duck going forward, we're not sure what's going on with Mason and all that. I'm sure, obviously, we'll get a lot more news in the next two weeks here with the bye. But last night was certainly, I don't know about a perfect start, but pretty darn close for the young man from Alabama. Yeah, man, he he executed. He did what he was supposed to do in terms of being efficient with the ball putting the passes in catchable situations where the receivers, or in particular the running backs, could catch the ball and keep running. And he avoided the massive back-breaking turnover. Granny had the interception in, I think it was the third or fourth quarter. You don't want to see that, but ultimately he did a really phenomenal job of not trying to do too much. And I understand, like you said, the hype around it. And when you're watching the game, the commentators are talking, it's making it feel like it's larger than life. But when you look at the numbers, it's 15 to 20, 132 yards, one touchdown, one pick. It wasn't a world-beating performance, but it got the job done. And the thing that I liked the most was he didn't go out there and press the issue. He didn't go out there and try to do something that we don't know if he's capable of doing or not right now. He took what the defense gave him, and that was a very smart performance by him, and that's what I love the most. Because, like I said, a lot of times with young quarterbacks – when you put them in the spotlight, they get wacky sometimes. They try to do too much. But ultimately for him, man, he looked very mature in his in his past selections. Particularly right on Sunday night football, under the lights in prime time, it could certainly you'd see a a way that Devlin could have been kind of, you know, I was going to say a deer in the headlights. How about a duck in the headlights? <laughs> hey, now. But certainly, like you said, it, it's 15 for 20, 132 yards, touchdown and interception. It's it's not like he had to go out and win the game. But he, at the same time, made plays when he had to. And, man, he certainly, this is something we've been harping on and talking about for a while, really had great support from James Conner and, and Benny Snell, too, man. 17 carries for 75 yards. It was encouraging to see that run game get going, not necessarily through Wildcat, right, or through any type of trickeration or any type of gimmick-style scheme, able to just, behind the offensive line, consistently get space, consistently keep drives going, consistently get first downs. Devlin Hodges, Benny Snell, James Conner, a great job by that trio. Yeah, without a doubt. I felt like that was going to be the winning combination going into this game, in particular James Conner, Benny Snell on the offensive line. And I felt like all three of those guys were the two guys in the O-line unit all played a huge role in making this offense be successful. The runs you talked about from Benny Snell, 17 carries, 75 yards, he was averaging 4.4 per tote. That's big time. Mm -hmm. And then James Conner, before he got banged up a little bit later in the game, he was still running at a very high clip as well. But what James was able to do in terms of making the first defender miss in some of these uh, passing games where he's catching the ball at three yards, but he makes a guy miss, turns a three-yard into a 10-yard, or he catches it at a 10-yard and it makes a guy miss, turns that into a 20-yard. That's the thing that made that performance so special from him. That's what made me so high on him in this performance because he showed that, okay, he didn't have to just do it solely on the ground. But as long as he was able to get over 100 yards total offense, that was a great, great thing for this team. And, I mean, Benny Snell, I criticized him a ton during the preseason because I felt that he wasn't making guys miss because he wasn't running as hard. But he showed up in a big way in primetime. And I love the fact that he wasn't scared of the moment. He wasn't scared of the defenders. He went out there and ran with bad intentions. And that's something that I love to see from a young guy. And it's very promising going forward. 
It really is. Uh, uh, 75 yards on 17 carries, as you mentioned, 4.4 average clip there with a long, a nice 20-yard run that he busted. Also had a reception out of the backfield for 14 yards on one target, one reception. You like to see that. We obviously know what James Conner is capable of doing, receiving the ball out of the backfield, 78 yards and a touchdown. I mean, led the team in receiving. In that department, yeah. And and speaking of leading the team in receiving, how are you feeling about what's going on with Juju here? We realize, at least I do, maybe not all the people at home do, but it's not necessarily like his lack of production right now is all on him. It's kind of the Steelers are going about scheming offense and doing what they can do, and it's it's easier for teams to cue on Juju, particularly with all the injuries that the Steelers have going on. One reception for seven yards on four targets. I, I think, though, we can agree, right, Motsi, that while it worked last night, and while it, you could have success doing that, certainly – we would like to find a way to get Juju involved, to get the ball in his hands a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. I think what not only Juju is realizing, but Randy Fickner and the offense is realizing that you can't just line him up out there and just have him try to beat guys one-on-one like that. He needs to have a little bit of assistance in terms of how you move him around, in terms of some of the pre-snap alignment, just because as a whole, this team they don't have the type of receivers that are just going to line up across from you and beat guys like we saw in the past with A.B. or with Martavis. You have to understand that with Juju, he's a phenomenal player, but he needs some assistance. He needs some help, and he's not getting that. Now, I did like the double move on the first play of the game versus Casey Hayward. I feel like he definitely won that clean, but then that was the underthrow by Duck. So it's a little bit of, like you said, not only Juju, but the quarterback play that's been – up until this point, a kind of a revolving door with the injuries. Sure. And then also the creativity that we're going to need to see from Randy Feekner going forward. Randy's been very creative in the run game, but we haven't seen that creativity in the past game thus far. So those are the things that I feel like I've really been playing into Juju's lack of productivity. But we all know what Juju He's one catch, one a, play a missed tackle away from taking it to the house. So that's the thing that's so promising. But the thing that I also love about Juju is this. His attitude does not change based on how many catches he has. Did you see how happy he was last Absolutely. night after the he game? He does not care if he scores three touchdowns or if he has one catch for seven yards on four targets. He is going to still give you the same level effort in the run game. He's going to give you the same level effort blocking. He's going to give you the same level of effort when it comes to his energy and keeping the players mentally focused on this game. And that's what you love about Juju. No doubt about it. Uh, I'm with you there. It was encouraging to see him, despite, again, only just the one reception for seven yards. He was as excited as anybody last night to get a win in his hometown. Well, I guess home area. Right. Southern California is a pretty big pretty big area to be calling your yeah. hometown. But, you know, his his home state, his home city, not, far, not too far from where he grew up. But, yes, yeah, certainly I think getting him a little involved going forward would be a, uh, a bit of a welcome development. But... We'll keep, keep stacking these wins however we can for the time being. 412-919-1316. Let's go back to the phone lines here. I want to talk to Tim in Winchester, Virginia. Tim, I got a ton of family in Winchester, Virginia. What's going on, man? Oh, my goodness. Go throw some names out. I probably know them. <laughs> last, so last name is Euler, actually, and uh, one, of, uh, one of my family members is a teacher at Millbrook High School there in Winchester. How do you spell your last name? With an E-R or I-R? U-H-L-E-R. Okay, because we have a music teacher at our middle school where I teach and coach. Last name's Euler, too. But uh, Millbrook's out in the county district. I, I teach in the city district in Winchester. Gotcha. Yep, I got a ton of family in Millbrook. It's a great area. So, 
Yeah, and Arthur has a connection with the family. He went to school with my son. Hey. Year ahead of him. Yeah, JMU Duke. Hey, I like it. Go Dukes, baby. <laughs> What's going on, Tim? We even have a number 55 jersey in our closet. Oh, I like it. I like it. I have to come up. I have to come up sometime and catch you at a game or something, get a picture taken with you. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, but the, the the I don't want to take a lot of your time up. This is more or less a coaching uh, question. I directed it last night on the postgame show with Charlie Batch, but I, I want to get a linebacker's take on it because, Arthur, you know how important it is to bracket tight ends going down the middle from the inside out and take away that inside leverage. The thing that just concerns me, in the long run, is taking the tight end out of the game because the tight ends have killed us this year, and they did last night. Uh, I saw, I do believe it was Kelly on the touchdown pass to the tight end from uh, San Diego. He was trying to play that from outside in leverage, and you're going to lose that battle. But what do you think? I mean, how do you get inside leverage the whole way down the field on a on a six foot six tight end and in, in, in that battle more times than not? Well, the biggest thing, when we talk about the leverage, it depends on what the call is defensively. If they're playing in a cover four, for example, well, then the interior aspect of that defense is going to be available if it's a safety on them. Now, granted, well, excuse me, I said that backwards. The outside leverage will be open because you typically would have a linebacker on inside leverage of that. But in certain man coverages, you understand that your help is inside with the the single high safety or the rat player being inside, so you want to have outside leverage on that. So those are the different things. But anytime you're guarding some of these tight ends, the tight ends are the new wave because of them being big and athletic and ultimately being a mismatch for whoever you're putting on them. Most of the time, they're bigger than the linebackers, faster than the linebackers, but they're slower. I mean, excuse me, but they don't have the necessarily route tree that they, you, you associate with the receiver versus a safety for example but ultimately the biggest thing you do with those guys is disrupt them get the hands on them early and keep them off their their routine keep them off schedule and I mean Hunter Henry is a phenomenal player it's a yeah. reason why he's going to be one of the top tight ends going forward if he can stay healthy you're not going to see this every week versus average tight ends but versus elite level talent that's realistic in this NFL yeah, and Hunter Henry is certainly one of those. Eight receptions, 100 yards, two touchdowns last night in his first game back from injury. But I do think it, it's encouraging to see the Steelers, I think, putting, giving attention to that, right? Absolutely. We know particularly how tight ends and, and slot guys gashed that defense last year. Uh, you saw the adjustments against George Kittle in San Francisco after a mm-hmm. big first quarter by him. And I think, too, yeah, it was kind of the opposite with Hunter Henry, but they did keep him in check for a lot of the game, along with Keenan Allen as well, too. Only two receptions for Keenan Allen. I do think it's encouraging that they're starting to figure out how to take away the middle more. Yeah, and absolutely. And I'll say this, too. Um, when we talked about the George Kittle matchup, they used Minka solely on George once he got hot early to take him out the game. Versus Hunter Henry, they were comfortable having Cameron Kelly on yes. him because they were using Minka to minimize Keenan Allen's impact. He was playing Keenan Allen high to low and just playing it, like you said, top down, which was awesome for him to be able to use his space, use his uh, route awareness to ultimately make those plays. But if they wanted to, they could have easily put Minka on Hunter. So they just tried to pick their poison in terms of who can beat you, who can hurt you the most. Hunter's going to have numbers great, but was Hunter going to be enough to beat you? No. Keenan Allen 
destroyed this defense last year. So for them, you could tell that was the, the focal point. We're not going to let him beat us. And they did a phenomenal job minimizing his impact. 412-919-1316. We got some spots open now on the phone lines. Also, you could chime in on Twitter at Wesley Euler at DeBody52. DeBody. Oh, when we come back, it's one of my favorite parts Uh-oh. of the week. Professor Moats Monday. What did the keen football eye of Arthur Moats most notice yesterday? What jumped off the screen to him that led to the Steelers' success? We will get into all of that when we return. It's Euler and Motes inside the electric factory in the locker room in for Tunch and Wolf on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. You're in the locker room with Tunch and Wolf on your 24-7 home of the black and gold Steelers Nation Radio. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. Arthur Motes and Wesley Euler with you here on a victory Monday in the locker room for Tunch and Wolf. 412-919-1316. Those are the digits to dial. If you dare step inside the electric factory, you can also get at us on Twitter at Wesley Euler at DeBody52. DeBody. Having some fun here, Motsy, on a Monday. It's... On a victory Monday. It's nice to be able to say that, man. And you know what? In the first hour, I never hit the Johnny drama at any point. So, uh, <clears throat> victory! <laughs> there we go. Always easier to get up on a uh, on a few hours of sleep on a Monday after a victory. The coffee always tastes a little bit better on a Monday after the victory. And you know what? Professor Moats Monday. Oh, it's even more special when it's breaking down a win with the professor instead of uh, one of the tough losses that we've seen a few times this season. So without further ado, and I guess, right, I should say this is the first time we've had Professor Motes on a victory Monday. Yeah, not a victory Tuesday. Because we, yeah, because we had, you know, the Monday night victory was the, the only other victory against the Bengals. So here we go for the first time this season. Professor Motes Monday after a victory. Class, class, class. It is great to be here talking about my points of victory after a huge Steelers victory last night. So, without further ado, let's start with the defense, in particular Devin Bush and how he's been able to continue creating turnovers. Now, the fumble recovery for a touchdown, it might have looked minuscule, but the thing that I loved most was this. Devin was in man coverage on Melvin Gordon, and he trusted his eyes to follow where Melvin Gordon was taking him, something that seemed simple, but his awareness, seeing the ball hit the ground, understanding that, hey, that's live action, scooping it because it was multiple guys around him, multiple guys. He had the awareness, get the ball, make a guy miss, and go get in the end zone, touch that paint, young mm-hmm. man. I love that. Now, me the, too. the second turnover, though, that was the one that really got me because you see he's in coverage on who? Keenan Allen lined up at the interior uh, receiver spot. A lot of pressure on him, but what did he do? He focused on his assignment, but at the same time, was not scared to make a play. Remember, we talked about that earlier. Doing your assignment, but being a playmaker. So, Tyson Aluwalu, former first-round draft pick, 2010 draft class, gets the tip pass. He has the situational awareness to understand that, hey, I can have vision on the quarterback as well. Makes the interception. Mm-hmm. Two big plays back-to-back to get the defense started, to get that party rolling. So, that was the first element of Professor Motes Mondays. And that really did get the party rolling. I Absolutely. mean, you, you've got 
a team that is in dire straits, a team that's in a bit of desperate, not a bit, a team that is in desperation mode out there in Los Angeles. You've got the Steeler Nation invading of that soccer pitch there in California, and you're right. I mean, the defense, you couldn't have asked for a, uh, a better party starter than that. Two early turnovers capitalizing on both. Uh, you love to see it from Devin Bush and company. Absolutely. Now, my second point. We got to go to the duck man himself, Devlin Quack, 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 Duck Hodges and his performance. And this is why he excelled in the short to intermediate throws. He was very efficient. And like I said, for the majority of the game, he avoided the big back breaking turnover. Those were huge things. He did not try to do too much because you can't take that for granted. So often you see young quarterbacks try to win it they try to go out there and be the star he was fine he was completely content in doing his job and allowing his running backs to make plays allowing his receivers to make plays and ultimately he did a great job the other thing that really stood out to me was this the bad snap by Marquise Pouncey. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that him having the wherewithal what a play the awareness to pick the ball up calmly throw it away he avoided the third what the 30-yard loss that he would have mm -hmm. acquired. He avoided right, the A lot massive, of guys would have just jumped on that ball. Right. He yeah. avoided the bonehead play of trying to make a guy miss and do something crazy, ultimately creating a turnover. And ultimately, he salvaged the yardage and made it where the uh, Bob was able to come in and make that field goal. So that was a huge play for Duck Hodges and something that very was very impressive. Yeah. I. You know what? It's I, I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, upset with myself that it took an hour and seven minutes to bring that up because That's cool, man. I'm taking to the classroom. I got you. That was low. That was very it was low key, but it was man. It was huge when it happened, because as you mentioned, it could have been a big loss for the Steelers. It could have uh, I think it was the, they ended up kicking a field goal on that drive. They correct. Did, yes. Could have made that. And I don't know if it would have completely taken you out of field goal range, but could have made the field goal much more difficult. Or or worst case, you have uh, Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa breathing right down your neck. That could have easily been a turnover. Yep. And the and in that situation, too, maybe Devlin tries to do too much. Maybe he tries to throw it over Bosa's head. Bosa could have grabbed that ball away and taken it to the house the other easily. direction, which would have been a, a complete 180, a complete momentum shifter. You're right. Cool, calm, and collected from Devlin Hodges in that situation. Absolutely, man. So that's why he was my second point. Now, the third point, we got to talk about Mr. James Conner. Yes. The kid from Erie, PA, and how he not only ran hard early, but was very productive in the passing game. He did what we talked about in terms of this team being successful. It came down to him making the first defender miss, and he did that on numerous occasions, and particularly in the passing game and that was a huge huge element of success for this offense him being able to turn three to five yard gains into 15 to 20 yard gains the touchdown pass that Devlin Hodges threw to him mm -hmm. it was him making a guy miss and getting up field for the touchdown he had critical third down catches that ultimately got him the first down and that's what you love that's what made the James Conner that we all fell in love with show up last night and that was so promising for this team We've been waiting for that game all year from him, haven't we? Absolutely. And we know what he's capable of. We know what that offensive line is capable of, too. we got to give them some props as well. Man, it was nice to see James finally break out. Because like you mentioned, it's not just that he was running through open holes or was catching balls way downfield. He was making guys miss. He was earning the tough yards. He was doing great things out of the backfield. Got to love it. I mean, we, we really are hoping that this defense were just kind of, you know, 
scratching the surface, if you will, with this unit and what mm -hmm. they can become. You got to feel the same type of confidence going forward with, with James Conner that now, all right, maybe he's really got his feet back under him and this will continue for the for the rest of the, uh, you know, the last 10 games of the season. Absolutely. And now we got to go and talk about that defense, right? But in particularly, we got to talk about the coaching staff for that defense mm -hmm. and Mike Tomlin and Keith Butler and their defensive plan. Because let's be real, they could have went in here and overthought it. Remember the smoke and mirrors tactic last year that fell and failed in a big time way on a primetime stage? Yes. They understood that this Chargers offensive line was their weak link. They also understood that the Steelers defensive line was that much better. And they didn't try to overcomplicate it. They said, hey, you guys up front, win your one-on-ones early and often. Don't make us have to blitz. Don't make us have to put this secondary in vulnerable situations. So what did they do? Steelers D-line goes out there and dominates the Chargers O-line early and often, and it showed. And they ultimately did not match up a linebacker on Keenan Allen for the majority of the game. They had Mika playing them high to low. They were doing different things from a coverage standpoint to get after him. And ultimately, that's why this defense was able to play at a high level. And that's why you have to tip your cap to Mike Tomlin and Keith Butler. And that's why they are highlighted today in class. It was a complete opposite performance from Keenan Allen than what we saw last year at Heinz Field. Six targets, only two receptions for 33 yards. Yeah, we would have signed up for that before the game, Motsi. Absolutely. And now my fifth and final point. Fifth and final one here, class. We got to talk about Randy Feekner in his office of game plan. He was going in here shorthanded. Jalen Samuels out. James Washington out. Ben Mason out. A lot of pressure. Understanding that, hey, how can we attack this Chargers defense that's built for the pass? What do they do? He watched the film. The Denver Broncos had a ton of success lining up in 12 and 13 personnel versus this Chargers defense. So what do we see from Randy Feekner? 11, or excuse me, we saw 12 and 13 personnel. He saw them making James Conner, Benny Snell, get the one-on-ones with the open defender and making those guys miss. And that was beautiful. It kept the offense on schedule and it kept Duck Hodges in very favorable third down situations, which was key. They never allowed themselves to get behind the chains. And when they did, they just simply say, you know, we'll hand the ball off, get up out of here, punt the ball, play defense. He didn't try to do too much. He didn't allow himself, being Randy Feekner, to put Duck Hodges in very dangerous situations and, and, and have him have too much exposure to that Chargers defense. So that's a huge, huge sign of maturity from Randy Feekner. It was a huge sign of maturity from this offense, understanding the game plan, and ultimately then watching that film and knowing that this is the best way to have success against this Chargers defense that's built for the pass rush. This built to play the pass, and they play the run on the way to the pass. So that millennial ball, no good yesterday, baby. We took it old school on them. You like that, how I labeled their defense a very millennial defense. Absolutely. Uh, I, was, I was yelling at Tunch. Tunch stole that line from me on the broadcast yesterday. <laughs> I mean, come on. Where's the credit here? I hey, said man, that, they don't shout you out. You know how that goes. I said that on Wednesday of last week. The t Chargers, they're the they're 2019 millennial defense. They don't want to bang inside and, and stop the run. They just want to get after the quarterback and play in pass coverage. And you're right. They use that perfectly. They use the Chargers' aggression against them with a lot of those dink and dunks, a lot of those screen route type plays that we saw the chargers are a, a front seven that likes to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback all you got to do is kind of slip by that right and just get to the second level well and it was a ton of runs that you saw have success because yes. joey bosa is rushing uphill we talked about the the two plays that i liked the most was bud dupree on his tackle for loss for melvin gordon 
he was unblocked. Play action type uh, play in front of him. And instead of him going for Phillip Rivers, being greedy for a sack, he went and tackled the dive. He did his job. Whereas the flip side, you see Joey Bosa, similar situation, mm -hmm. and he's going after Duck because he's trying to get a sack. But I'll tell you this, guys. In my nine years of playing professional football, in my four years of playing college football, in my four years of playing high school football, I've never got a sack on a run play. I've never seen it happen, guys. So when you're outside defender, play the run because that's the action that you're getting. Trust your keys, and Joey Bosa did not do that, but Dupree did do that, and you saw the difference in the plays. I'm surprised still that it played out that way from the Chargers' standpoint. Like, did you really think that the Steelers were just going to let Devlin Hodges take a bunch of three-step drops and stand back there and throw the ball 40 times? Like, did you not think that this was coming? I think they did think that uh, they were going to throw the ball 30, 40 times. I thought they did think that... Uh, James Conner had been struggling. Benny Snell was a mystery in terms of how productive he could be in the run game. And I think they thought that they were going to feast on this uh, Steelers offense. But ultimately, the defense scoring early put them up front, and that changed the whole dynamic of the game. And then from there, the Chargers were trying to play catch-up. And it's hard to play catch-up in this league. Professor Motes Monday. It, I, I'm telling you, if, if the roles would have been reversed – and the Steelers' defense would have come in facing an opponent like that with a game plan like that, we would all be pulling our hair out and Absolutely. screaming bloody murder today. Absolutely. But one man gathers what another man spills, and the Steelers certainly took advantage. Last night in Los Angeles. Loved it. Thank you, Professor. It's the least I could do, man. Office hours on Tuesday. <laughs> we'll talk to you again on Friday. <laughs> 412-919-1316. Those are the digits to dial if you want to talk to Arthur Motes and myself. It's Euler and Motes here in for Tunch and Wolf in the locker room. When we come back here, Motesy, there are two things that we've spent a lot of time, particularly the last two or three weeks, talking about that this Steelers offense needed to do a better job of, that they did a much better job of last night. What are they? Well, you'll have to come back to find out. On Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at the body 52 in the locker room, it's the Electric Factory. Euler Motes filling in for Tunch and Wolf right here on ESPN Pittsburgh and SNR. You're in the locker room with Tunch and Wolf on your 24-7 home of the black and gold Steelers Nation Radio. Euler Motes with you in the locker room in for Tunch and Wolf on this Victory Monday. Their loss. I mean, hey. they're, they're missing all the fun. It's always great coming here throw a victory. But Monday. no worries. Tunch and Wolf will be back with you tomorrow and Wednesday. So you can catch Motes on our usual time on SNR. But then we'll be back Thursday and Friday, Motesy. Yes, we will. We'll be back Thursday and Friday because, you know, the two old fogies, they want a, a long weekend over the bye week. What's so, a bye week? What, what, exactly. what is a bye week? No what does that even mean? Days off. All we know is coming here, give I, the people what they need. We can sleep when we die, right? Come on, man. <laughs> sleep as much as you want right there. Uh, for those of you who maybe were unfamiliar, right? Maybe if you just joined us or if you're tuning in late and you're kind of like, all right, who are these guys? You know, Euler and Motes, I kind of like this. Again, you can find us on Steelers Nation Radio from noon to two. Our show gets archived in podcast form. Steelers Blitz. That's Blitz with, Blitz with a Z. Zoltan. Mm, Zlatan. That's where you find our podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, just search Steelers Blitz. 
And we will be in for Tungeon Wolf right here again in the locker room Thursday and Friday at 10 a.m. So plenty of opportunity to get your daily dose of electricity with Moats and myself. 412-919-1316. Those are the digits to dial. You can also chime in on Twitter at Wesley Euler at the body 52 the body I told you there were two things Motsi that we spent a lot of time talking about in the past couple weeks that the offense needed to do areas that the offense needed to have more success in and they did that last night the first one Motsi success on possession downs that's something we talked a lot about how particularly right in the absence uh, now of Ben Roethlisberger and Mason Rudolph and a lot of injuries on offense and you kind of leaning on this defense, you had to let the defense rest. You had to keep the defense off the field. You have to extend your own drives. You have to let your defense rest and not, you know, like we saw against Seattle and San Francisco, have your defense out there playing 20 plus, 20 plus more plays than the other unit. Well, Arthur Motes, third down efficiency, eight for 13 yesterday. Steelers run 56 plays, Chargers run 59 plays. Pretty dang good. You'll take that every time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talked about third down efficiency and time of possession. This is the first time that they were outside of the Bengals game. They won both of those elements. They held the ball longer than the Chargers, and they stayed on the field at a higher clip. Granted, it was 61% to 58%, but still, that was at a high level. Now, when we talk about this defense and how early in the season, they were getting tired late in games due to the amount of snaps they were playing. Now you're seeing when they are able to rest, when they're able to take some time to gather themselves on the sideline, they're playing consistently better ball for oh. the duration of the game, which is huge. And that's the thing that's so promising. But as long as the offense can continue to just, like I said, be respectable on third downs, just be respectable. You don't have to be world beaters, but 50 percent percent. That's all you need. And for this defense, granted, like I said, they were they gave up 58% on third downs, but the impact was drastically different. And a lot of those came in the end, the garbage time with Phillip Rivers, and that's completely fine. You you will take that any day of the week. You know, without a doubt. Again, eight for 13, third down efficiency for the Steelers. Uh, you love to see that. Well over 50% there. We'll take that from the offense, certainly going forward and then the other element of this that we spend a lot of time with that relates to all this your, your possession down efficiency and keeping your defense fresh was time of possession Steelers won that by almost 10 minutes they had a little they controlled the ball for a little bit over 34 minutes of the game Chargers little less than 25 minute possession that's a, a 180 from what we've seen and certainly another like you said allows the defense to stay fresh to be at their best as the game continues to, to go along. Yeah, absolutely. All of that plays into it. The the 25, what, almost 26 minutes that the Chargers held the ball, when you start out the way that this defense started out, that's phenomenal because the offense isn't getting opportunities to be on the field that long when you're scoring on defense, when you're giving them the ball in a short field. But the fact that they are still able to win the time of possession battle just shows that, hey, they were sustaining some very long drives. Taking seven, eight minutes off the clock is huge. As a defense, you love seeing that. And prior to this game, you hadn't seen that a lot from the offense. So that was a huge step in the right direction for those guys. Let's go back to the power grid. They've been lighting up the phone lines all day. Our buddy down in Morgantown, John, the first ever caller yeah, man. into Steelers Blitz. What's happening, John? Hey, good morning, Wes. Good morning, Moose. Thanks for taking my call, and thanks for filling in for Touch and Wolf. Uh, 
I appreciate it. I know you guys are running on loosely, but you guys. <laughs> yeah, we had we had to let the old guys get their extra beauty sleep. Hey, it's okay. They need it. You know how it is. Yeah, that's right. Um, I thought it was a really great team win last night. Uh, all three phases played really well. Offensive line, I thought, did a really good job of getting the run game going with James Conner and keeping stuff uh, clean when he was in the pocket. Defense forced some good turnovers, made good plays. And I was really, I thought the special teams did real well too. I mean, Paws is kicking lights out this year, and that punt in the fourth quarter was executed perfectly. Yeah, man, I agree 100%. And I'm glad you talked about the special teams because they haven't been receiving that much uh, praise. But they did yeah. a, a phenomenal job minimizing Desmond King's impact. We talked about what he did to this team last year. We talked about how he ran back a punt last, last week. week. But you saw Jordan Berry do a phenomenal job with his punts. The coverage unit did a great job getting down there, tackling him. The, the huge punt to get down on the one-yard line on that last drive was amazing. Massive. And then Boss continues to be perfect on the season with his field goals. So those are all the things that you love to see from a special teams unit. And then, like you said, as a team win, offensively and defensively, they all worked in concert together. Defense providing the short field, offense punching it in for seven, not three. Defense not only playing at a great level, but scoring on defense. Yeah. Offense sustaining drives, giving that defense time to rest. When you get all three phases playing together like that, it's a beautiful situation. Oh, and I'm glad that um, – since John is your first guy and he's a West Virginia guy, I was glad you ain't say go Mountaineers because I was going to call y'all up because y'all said that last time and I ain't like that, all right? Hey, no, John, go Mountaineers, nah, nah, baby. No, nah, man. I don't want to hear none of that, all right? Hey, listen, you buddy from Winchester brought hey, up the hey, Dukes, hey, all I, right? I, I don't care. I don't care. I just wanted to, I just wanted to get that off my chest, all right? Because it's that type of Monday. <laughs> to get it off your chest Monday <laughs> here on the show. Two ways to do so on the phone lines, 412-919-1316. Also on Twitter, you already know, at Wesley Euler, at the body 52 The body. Charlie, he's out in South, Southern California, the hey. scene of the crime from last night. I wonder if he was at the game. What's Bright going on, Charlie? Early. How you doing, guys? We're doing well, man. Good guys, morning, uh, sunshine. <laughs> good morning. Could you guys hear the energy on TV? Like, could you guys pick up what oh, it was no like doubt. in there in person? Man, it looked it was, crazy. I've been to several back in Pittsburgh, and this is something I want to challenge the fans in Pittsburgh. That was as intense of a crowd. It was almost 90% Steeler fans. They were chanting going out in the hallways. Charger fans were moving out of everyone's way. It was <laughs> unbelievable. You could tell immediately the energy was carrying the team. I like and we that. need the fans to do that the rest of the year. No, you're, you're absolutely uh, right, quite, Charlie. No doubt. Bring that same energy yeah, on Monday quite, night to Heinz Field and going forward. Yep, you can hear it in my raspy voice today. The question I have, though, is what's going on with Tuit? Because he was relentless. The little bit he was in there, and I think the Chargers were able to shift their, their offensive line to control Watt a little better once he went out. So I think it's, if he's out, that's really going to hurt us. Yeah, Moats touched on this a little bit earlier with those pectoral injuries. You just never know the extent until you really have time to evaluate it and how it's one of those things. You know, there's some injuries that you can continue to play and it you can't necessarily make it that much worse. Where a pectoral injury is kind of the opposite of that, yeah, right, Mozi? You, you can make this a lot worse, even if it's just strained. If you come back too soon, strain becomes tear. If it's partially torn, once again, you can play with that, and then ultimately that leads to you having 
tearing it off the bone completely. So it's very touch and go. But the MRI will uh, reveal a lot, and we'll know from there. But hopefully it's not too serious. But his impact is definitely going to be felt and missed if he does have to miss time. But in Tyson Alualu and Javon Hargave and Big Dam of Colors, I think all three of those guys stepped up in a big way when Stewart went out. And you think about just the talent along that D-line. Tuit is sitting at three and a half sacks, but you have Bud, who has three sacks, TJ Watt with four sacks, Cam Hayward with three and a half sacks. So they are more than capable yep. of continuing the productivity. And that's not counting the linebackers and safeties and corners that have been blitzing and getting sacks as well. Yep. There was one last thing I wanted to point out to you guys. If you notice, late in the fourth quarter, the Chargers started to come back. And coming out of a timeout, I think it was, I just haven't gone back to watch the game, but Watt raised up the crowd on the yes. road. So yeah. that they had to go silent count. It was that was unbelievable. He he was TJ was playing to the crowd the whole time. It was great. And yeah, like you said it, Charlie. How often do you see that that the home team has to go to silent count? It was awesome, particularly late in the game when the when the team really needed that final boost to help uh, you know finish the job there. I wonder, Charlie, do you think it was? primarily, you know, Steelers Nation West Coast who was there representing, or do you think it was a good mix of people who, who made the trip from Pennsylvania as well, too? The, we were tailgating before, and there was a few from Pittsburgh. They don't come out here very often. So the last time they were out here was down in San Diego, and it was a similar situation. It which was. Just a bigger stadium, so it's probably 50-50 when we were there. Um, and Vic was there last night. We got to say hi to him. He was the one that carried us last nice. time. Nice. hit the yep. big ball. Um, but it, it was almost 90% Steeler fan, and it seemed all over the West Coast Steeler fan. But it, they might even want to consider putting one road, one of the Steelers' home games out here. <laughs> it was a sellout. We're one in four, and it was a sellout packed with Steeler fans paying twice ticket price. I mean, it's, fans love their Steelers out here. I think we still got a shot at backing into the playoffs. And we can run the table a little bit. Our division's not too sharp, and uh, go Steelers. Well, and I'll say this, too. I was a part of that team that went into San Diego and got that one with Mike Vick. The the last second, Le'Veon Bell stretched to win it. Yeah. Don't, don't you shortchange the crowd out there talking about 50%. Man, it was 70-30. <laughs> that crowd was crazy out there. It was yeah. a home game. They booed Phillip Rivers and them for the introduction. They had to operate on a silent count. I remember that 100%. So don't you shortchange still in West Coast, <laughs> regardless if it was in San Diego oh, no, or I was not. There. <laughs> I agree, but this was just a whole nother level. I just had the chills. I could not believe it. I literally felt like we're at a Little League Steeler game. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Charlie, that's great stuff, man. I'm sure there's a big smile on Thanks your face it. this morning. Thanks for the call. Thanks for checking in with us, and enjoy the uh, the Victory Monday out there on the West Coast. Thanks, gentlemen. Charlie out in Southern California. Yeah, man, that, that would have been a lot of fun to be there last night. Oh, man. Nice weather. Come on now. And even still, I mean, think about it. The game started, what, 5.30 local time, I think? Yeah. 5.20 local time. So by the time that ends, it's 8.20. I mean, you still got time. You know, it's not like it's a super late. You oh, know, no, no. Still, Plenty of time to have fun, still man. Still enjoy the evening and the weather out there on the West Coast. Yeah. You know, we gotta make a, I got to make a road trip out there for one of these games. Hey, man, I know you well, were up in San you go, Francisco. Whenever you go, man. Yeah, I know. Well, how about you invite me? One oh, of these stop set? it. <laughs> 412-919-1316 on Twitter, at Wesley Euler, at TheBody52. TheBody. We will end with your reaction when we come back. And he just said it there. I think the Steelers are right back in the thick of things at 2-4 and four in the AFC North. That's certainly probably not something we would have expected before the year. 
but it's a reality right now. We will talk about that when we return. Euler emotes were filling in for Tunch and Wolf on this Victory Monday, an electric edition of the yeah, in the locker room here. <laughs> when we come back, we'll wrap up the show. It's uh, it's <laughs> Euler emotes. I gotta stop laughing. Here. I was like, man, <laughs> it's it's Euler emotes on ESPN Pittsburgh and SNR. You're in the locker room with Tunch and Wolf on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio. An electric edition of the locker room today. Euler emotes in for the old fogies, Tunch and Wolf. They will be back with you tomorrow and Wednesday. Then Motes and I will be sitting in again on Thursday and Friday as they take a nice, uh, nice long weekend, a little siesta over the bye week so a little moving and shaking here on espn pittsburgh and steelers nation radio this week but you know as always just keep it locked here we've got your uh we've got your best steelers coverage as always having some fun here on the show today the phone calls have been flying in 412-919-1316 are the digits to dial let's go to jim here in stanton heights uh, he brings up a, a good point here. He wants to talk about Cam Sutton, a guy that maybe we uh, need to give a little bit more love to here on this Victory Monday. What's up, Jim? You, you guys are absolutely right. First of all, you guys are very good. You've caused me to change my traditional sports information to following you guys. So, oh, yeah. Oh, really That's what I like that. to hear. Thank you, Jim. We appreciate it. But one point with the professor. With the professor, you were pretty good, but I cannot believe you went through your five points and did not mention Cam Sutton, who had the game-saving catch on the onside kick and also play defense to perfection. Can you speak about that and also tell me why Kelly is in the lineup? How did he get back in? And um, give me a little insight on that, Professor, and uh, what you talking about today? Absolutely, man. Cam Sutton was phenomenal. And for him, he stepped up in a big way as soon as Joe Hayden went down. But the thing with Cam is this. He's been playing at a high level all season. He just isn't talked mm-hmm. about as much because Mike Hilton gets all the glory as a – a nickel rusher, and because Steven Nelson and Joe Hayden have been playing at an extremely high level, but Cam has been phenomenal this season. So for him, man, seeing him catch the interception, I was more so impressed with the onside kick recovery because he catches it, flips, lands on his head, yeah. but still hangs on to that ball, and that was huge in terms of his play, and ultimately he was in there because Joe Hayden was down. That was the reason why he was on the onside kick team in that particular position, which is the hot position, because that ball is coming to you. You are live. But um, when you talk about the uh, – excuse me, who, who was the other person you said? Kelly. Yeah, Kelly, how Kelly. did he get back in? Yeah, so with, uh, with Cameron Kelly, the biggest thing with him was they've been using him – as a third safety in some of these big nickel. Yes. And pretty much a big nickel situation where he's coming in and matching up versus these tight ends. You saw it in a big way versus the Ravens where him, uh, Mika Fitzpatrick and Terrell Edmonds were on the field together. And that's ultimately just a, a testament to his athletic ability because you see how he's a big guy who can run. He's very agile, and he's just continuing to be in the right place at the right time. Now, you would like to see him be a little bit more competitive on the touchdown pass, but ultimately, man, he's been doing a phenomenal job. And I think when you talk about a young player in this league, he's still learning himself. Mm-hmm. So for him, man, you can see he possesses the tools from an athletic standpoint, but as, his, as he continues to grow mentally, he has a chance to do some special things in this league. Last question. Good point. Um, with, with um, This is an elementary question, but I always get confused. 
What actually is the difference? What is the nickel and dime? I need to get an understanding about that. Yeah, so uh, when it's nickel formation, you have four D linemen, two interior linebackers, and then you'll have five defensive backs out there. When you go to dime, now you're typically going with six defensive backs out there. You'll have one linebacker, and you used to have your four down linemen. So you'll see dime when it's Devin Bush out there, and then they bring in Cam Sutton and Mike Hilton. Whereas if it's nickel, you'll see Devin Bush and Mark Barron or Devin Bush and Vince Williams, Devin Bush and Tyler Matikadovich with just Mike Hilton out there. Very good. Thank you, man. You guys are good. Jim, no doubt, great man. call, man. We appreciate the kind words, and I, I love it. You're prepared with the information Absolutely. and the questions. Your phone sounds great, too, which is always a big positive. Yes, indeed. Jim, you can call back anytime. All right, we're putting you on the short list. You're a friend of the show. <laughs> All right. Peace. Thanks, Jim. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah, I like that. And look, he's you're breaking down the Professor Motes and asking questions. I like that. See, that, that's what I like to hear from the power grid. Yes, use that, as, a, use that as an example right Ask there. Jim's call, man. fantastic, and the phone sounded good and no feedback. Absolutely. And taking Motes into the classroom, asking him some X's and O's stuff. I like that. That's the office hours. Call me in office hours. Office hours. That was a good I'm, office. I'm here for you. That was a good office hours call there. I'm here to educate. I think, too, uh, part of why we're seeing um, – Cam continue to get some spin, right? Is and I'm talking Cam Kelly in this regard. Yeah. Uh is still the absence of Sean Davis as well, too. Yes, absolutely. And the way they're utilizing him, I think benefits him a lot more than what we saw in week one. In week one, they had him in the post playing that that big time role in terms of communicator, in terms of erasing other people's mistakes. That's not his strength right now. He excels when you put him in there and let him just play man-to-man coverage on some of these bigger-bodied athletic tight ends. Using Minka Fitzpatrick, keeping him in the post and having him and Terrell Edmonds rotate in terms of who's in the post, who's in the box. That's why all three of those guys are playing at a high level. If you take Minka out of the equation and you're just having Cam Kelly and Terrell Edmonds have to communicate in the post and things like that, that's not going to be the strength that you want to see from Cam at this particular junction in his career. So I think they use, they're doing a great job playing to his strengths and doing a great job playing to the strengths of the three guys in that room. I agree. Let's go to the phone lines one more time here. Gotta get our boy. Uh-oh. You know, I talked to this guy on the phone last night at 145. Hey. And he called up early this morning. He's always ready to go. I wonder if he even slept. It's our buddy CR from Steeler Nation Chicago. What's happening, CR? Wow, wow, West. Hey, CR. Wow, wow, West. Wow, wow, West. And the body. <laughs> CR, did you sleep last night, man? I just talked to you on the phone a couple hours ago. Hey, how you doing, bro? Man, we are well. CR, did you get any sleep last night? Oh, yeah, I got, I got some sleep, man, but no, not really. I, I was <laughs> dreaming all night about, about winning the game, you know, winning the game. Yeah, I got a chance to, um, to talk last night to... Um, uh, Adam and, 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 and Charlie. I haven't talked to Charlie back, but uh, maybe once or twice since I came back from uh, the uh, the game that you guys played out in in the, uh, Indianapolis. Mm, I was driving okay. back from Indianapolis. I think that's the last time I talked to him. You remember that game, Mosey? Absolutely, man. It was a fun time. Got that dub. Yeah, because I was out there in the sidelines, and, and my story on that is that I went over to the fence and I hollered at uh, to it. I usually call them do it to it, my do man. Do it to it, and yeah. And he heard my voice. Yeah, you heard my voice, and then on the very next play, they went out and, and had a turnover. So as far as I'm concerned, I was the one that encouraged them to win the game. Hey, absolutely. You, you brought yeah. the good mojo, CR. Yeah, you got that right. And now as far as uh, that game last night, 
Technically, man, that was a, a home game away from home. That's the bottom line on that. And I really appreciate what that guy said just a while ago because when Antonio Gates, not Gates, but uh, when we picked up the tight end from San Diego and he came out to, uh, to play with the Steelers Oh, yeah, Ladarius, while, Ladarius Green, yeah. Right, right. He uh, The first thing he talked about was that um, when he was playing with, with them out there, that they had to go on a silent count because there's so many Steeler fans. And like the brother said a little while ago, uh, that's all West Coast. I mean, you got so many Steelers fans around the country, and people think that they, you know, get on the buses and the planes and travel, but not necessarily because, you know, hey, we don't need to. We're everywhere, man. It's something Moats and I have talked about on this show before, how, like, we have to be cognizant, CR, that Steelers Nation, man, it transcends Pittsburgh. It transcends Western Pennsylvania. It's and, national. It's and, and global. And we, we have to remember that sometimes. Global. It's kind of, you know, it's, Moats and I both live here in the bubble, you know, of Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania. But, yeah, Steelers Nation transcends uh, Western Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh. It is. It's global. It's it's a nation, man, all across the United States. and. In the world too, we've had callers from Mexico and Denmark and Portugal the and all, world, all kind of the places. World. Yeah, I, uh, I on my Facebook, I get a, I get a lot of feedback from from the from the Germans because so I yeah, I yeah. they have a huge Steeler gang Absolutely. chapter I got, in Germany. Got a chance yeah? to meet some of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and don't even talk about Mexico because that's oh, that's, that's Steeler nation south. Absolutely, oh, I should say Pittsburgh south. <laughs> no doubt, no so, doubt. Hey guys, I want to talk about the, the the. Well, you guys stole all my thunder, man, with all your statistics and everything. You guys <laughs> took all my stuff, man. You know, I don't know about you guys. one of these days, we'll just but let anyway, you host the show, Cr. You know. Hey, no, I don't know about hosting it, but I I, I could be a third wheel. <laughs> hey, but uh, last night, um, that uh, the I, I appreciate the duck. I mean, I think he did a wonderful job. I, I like the way the. The coaches uh, dumb. I don't want to say dumb the game down, but gave him the game. And uh, all the statistics you guys talking about, the one thing you didn't mention, and I'm going to say it now, in the first half, he was 8 of 9 for 70 yards. 8 of 9, man. That's pretty daggone good. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, CR, just doing what they asked of him, right? Taking the game plan, executing it successfully, putting himself in the team in the best position to win going forward. You put that, you know, you, you company that with the splash on defense and that that's the recipe right there. That's the blueprint for success. You got that right. And most your boys came through last night, man, that defense, that defense, that defense. Talk man, about it. Hey man, they shut them out for three quarters, man. It had one sack, two, two interceptions and, and a total three turnovers, man. The defense was live. And here's what you were saying. Too, because the offense was controlling the ball. You know, like you said, we, we had control of the ball, giving the defense the opportunity to rest on the sideline. And when they came out, like you say, uh, um, uh, uh, TJ was, uh, you know, throwing his hands up and the crowd was ecstatic, and the defense had that energy, and they just went wild on him, man. Uh, Absolutely, man. Anytime. Uh, next week. Go mm -hmm. ahead. Well, I was going to say, man, this defense, like you said, has been playing at an extremely high level, and anytime they're able to be rested, when they come back on that field, man, it just is special to see what these guys are capable of. And we're just seeing it from start to finish at all three levels. At each three, at each level yesterday of the defense, they all made critical plays, whether it was the D-line causing the pressure, Bud, TJ, Tua, whether it was Devin Bush with the splash plays, with the fumble recovery, the interception, whether it was in the secondary with Cam Sutton getting the interception and all of those guys back there minimizing the impact of a Keenan Allen who destroyed this Steelers um, defense last year. I mean, just in all aspects of it, man, it was a great performance by those guys. 
And as far as the uh, 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 next, well, you know, we're off next week, and then we got the uh, uh, the Miami Dolphins after that. So for, uh, it's going to be a good time to rest uh, the walking wounded, man. I think, uh, you know, as my opinion, now I may be biased in this here, but when it comes to playing Miami, I think they should go on and, and keep the duck in there and let uh, Mason and the, and the walking wounded just have another week off because that will be a total of three weeks, man. Comment. Yeah, man, I definitely like the idea of not rushing those guys back. And if you're the Steelers team, you understand you definitely have to have a win and you can't take any opponent lightly. But at the same time, if you're able to allow your guys to rest another week, that would be huge because Mason is still a a really good quarterback in this league in terms of the numbers that he had in his starts. But if you can just give him another week to heal, another week to mentally get back to where he needs to be, that can only mean – uh, more success for this team going forward. Yeah, and uh, hey, hey, uh, uh, most, don't forget to uh, talk to um, the Wild Wild West. They got some information you're going to share with your host. Oh yeah, I CR, like CR's yeah. Got, got some good stuff for us. Hey, CR, we are uh, we're up against it here for the end of the show. But before we before we let you out of here, we got to hear the sign off, baby. Okay, here we go. In the meantime, in between time. Here we go, Steelers. Here we go. Hoo, hoo. Pleasure as always, go. CR. Thank you, partner. Enjoying the victory, Steelers Nation Chicago. Steelers Nation everywhere. Hey, it's global. Enjoying the victory on this Monday. And I tell you what, Mozi, it's a big one. Because 20 days from now, the Steelers have a home game against the Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. You take care of business. You rest up. You take care of business against those, what, 0-6 Miami Dolphins. They lost a heartbreaker yesterday. And all of a sudden, <laughs> you've got Indy at home with a chance to go 4-4, four and four, when in that meantime, Baltimore has to go to Seattle and play the Patriots. Cleveland has to go to New England and go to Denver, and they got to play the Bills in there as well, too. It's tough sledding coming up for the Browns and the Ravens schedule wise. And it sounds crazy, Motsi, but at two and four, you take care of business on Monday in two weeks at three and four, you'd have a chance at home against Indy 20 days from now to be four and four and to be potentially maybe, you know, tied for first or a game out, something like that. You'll be right in the hunt at Halloween still before we even get to November. Hey, man, you can't ask for a better situation, especially after all the adversity this team has had to overcome. So if you're the Steelers, man, you have to be extremely excited and you have to be thanking the football guys because everything has played out masterfully for them, all things considered. It could be so much worse, and I think so too. If you're this team sitting there now, right, in your current situation, I I think you still have to be encouraged by, you look at the games you lost, right? If you take New England out of it. It's, what, three games by a combined eight or nine points? Tops. Right? All, and all came that, down to the end of the game. And every team you've lost to has I mean, been doing phenomenal. I mean, they're— what, Was it combined one loss, I think it is? Yeah. From all of them? Seattle to the Saints. Yeah. That's their only loss. But I say New England undefeated, San Fran undefeated, Baltimore, what, two losses? Oh, no. I guess that's true. I wasn't thinking about yeah. Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, two has losses. two losses, so— but again, a division game in overtime where you lose your backup quarterback to and, a, you and, know, like— And the way you lost them, too— was, I mean, it was very emotional for all no parties in, involved. No doubt. And so it is, it's encouraging where this team could be, again, by Halloween, not even in November. They could they could very realistically be sitting at 4-4 four and four on Halloween and be tied for first place, in first place, a game out right there in the thick of it. It started last night, right, with taking care of business in San Diego. That's what you had to do. Now you get this time to rest up a, a little extra than two weeks with Monday night against Miami on the docket. You hope that's a game that you can 
take care of business, kind of like you saw against the Bengals at home on Monday night. And then all of a sudden, Arthur Motes, things get real interesting again. Absolutely. I mean, I guess that's a great situation. I know this team's excited. I'm excited. Steeler Nation should be excited, and they should be enjoying this victory Monday. Everybody enjoy it. We sure did filling in for Tunch and Wolf today. Thanks for thanks to them for letting us sit in again. They'll be back the next two days. But then you got Moats and I here in the locker room again on Thursday and Friday. Moats is off tomorrow. Since there's no Tomlin presser, I'll be doing a show with Chris Carter at noon on SNR. And then Moats and I will be back at noon on yes, Wednesday. Indeed. A whole bunch going on this week. Up next here, you got the Godfather Stan Savin on ESPN Pittsburgh. And Tom Offerman and Kellen Gersky filling in hey. for us. Hey. on the Steelers Blitz. Shout out to the young listen guys, to man. Our, listen to our boys on SNR. We know they'll do a great job. Thanks to our guy Greg for producing. Thanks to everybody who called in today. Euler Remotes in the Electric Factory. Steelers Blitz in the locker room on ESPN Pittsburgh and SNR.